Hey, welcome to Off the Circle, where today we're talking about corporate security, privacy, and compliance with a special focus on healthcare. Listen to indie-based entrepreneurs and business people. Learn from their experience and expertise, and have some laughs along the way. Off the Circle, the Indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before. Hey, welcome to Off the Circle. Today, our guests are Mike Boland of Current Data Technology and Mark Clausen of Sterling Group. We're going to talk about corporate security, privacy, with a focus on healthcare. And this this might sound like a, I, I want to make sure this might sound like a really different kind of direction for Off the Circle, but it really does remain. Um, in the wheelhouse of, of why we started this podcast. And that's that we have expertise right here uh, in the city and in the state that works nationally and internationally with clients and, uh, and they're hidden secrets. You know, the, they, they're known in the industry, but they're not necessarily known locally. They're not gonna, they're not gonna be on the news or anything like that. And so uh, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you guys taking the time out. Um, maybe start with an introduction, how you got into this industry, where you're at right now. Okay. Uh, I'm Mark Klausman with the Sterling Group. And uh, we started in uh, 2001, so we've been around for, my gosh, 17 years now. And we saw a need back then, and I was able to connect with a couple of sharp guys that knew security and knew internet. And we knew that, my gosh, the internet is... It, could be having problems in the future. So started a security business, and this was even before a lot of regulatory compliance was out there, uh, such as HIPAA, GLBA, and so forth. So we just started doing this, and over the years, uh, the more regulatory compliance and the more hackers that have come out there, it's just really grown our, our business big time. 17 years, that's, that's, that's really amazing, because 17 years ago, I don't think I was worried about security at all. I think. Most of the time, we could hack into networks easily back then. That's right. <laughs> you dial up modem. And I, had a, I, had a, I remember I worked at a newspaper, and we had built a, you know, built our Windows network. It, was, it wasn't Windows, though. It wasn't Microsoft. What was like, it? A Novell yes. network. Yeah, Novell. Novell, you know. Novell, that brings and back so, memories. And so, literally, I sat down in a command line one day and just started, like, pinging different parts of the network. And... I saw people's personal files and and I could open people's email databases and I was like, yeah, this is this this isn't a good thing. <laughs> it was pretty easy and there's tools to this day that you can download that will help you do those kinds of wow. things. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I let and I let our IT guy know at the time. I wasn't the IT guy, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mark, I think part of your introduction should uh, also have to do with the network. Maybe uh, share with us uh, your role in that and and that I think that'll be a surprise to a lot of people that it even exists. Oh, you mean Inspin? Yes. Yeah, Inspin is it stands for the Indiana Security and Privacy Network. And actually, it was formed in about 2000, the year 2000, and back then it was called the Indiana HIPAA Work Group. It was more or less a, um, a work group uh, focusing on HIPAA issues for healthcare. HIPAA came out way back in 2003, and uh, that was the first version of HIPAA, and they didn't really enforce it. They didn't, if a hospital had a breach, they didn't even have to report it. 2009, so we changed the name 
of the organization to InSpend to cover more areas other than healthcare because it seems like HIPAA was going off to the wayside. 2009 with the High Tech Act, HIPAA was back in the fold again because they increased the penalties, they increased the uh, uh, enforcement, and also provided some incentives for hospitals to become HIPAA compliant. So 2009, boom, it came back. So now we're still called InSpend, but our big focus is still HIPAA compliancy. So we have a lot of healthcare leaders that are in this group and it's kind of a mindshare user group meeting that meets once a quarter. And it's all local hospitals. Yes, it's the Indiana Security Privacy Network. So it's mostly Indiana-based hospitals, healthcare providers, and healthcare type uh, field that are part of it. Well, and tell them about InfraGuard. And InfraGuard, so that's a, a branch of the FBI that focuses, you know, allows good citizens like us to become a part of it. And they do have a healthcare division now that they totally focus on a lot of cybercrime with healthcare, as most people have heard of, ransomware. And the local FBI organization has really gotten involved, and they occasionally come in and speak. In fact, we get a lot of expert speakers to come in, like FBI, uh, lawmakers that make some of the regs, hospitals that have had a breach so they can share their war stories so that everybody can learn from it, and things like that. Yes. And the, they get the HIPAA police to show up and present. That's right. And the HIPAA police. Inspin. The HIPAA police. What do they wear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an unofficial name. Yeah, but you're right. The HIPAA police are, is the OCR. You might know what it stands for. Uh, Office of Civil Rights. And they are the ones that enforce and police HIPAA. And we've had some uh, speakers from the government, from the federal government, come in and talk about, especially any changes in the HIPAA regulation and what they are expecting to see if they ever do a HIPAA audit. And they are starting to do, they're like the, sort of like the IRS, they are starting to do random audits of hospitals to see if they are HIPAA compliant. And they will come in and they'll, full disclosure, they'll say, this, these are the things we're gonna look for, so be prepared. Well, and I've heard they've done audits on some smaller practices too. For example, just walking in the back door that's unlocked and seeing items that they're not supposed to see. Right, so mm -hmm. beware. Typically, it's, they will give you a heads up. Yes, <laughs> typically. Uh, Mike Boland with Current Data, been in business for 30 plus years now, been involved with HIPAA since the beginning, um, got more involved a few years ago in trying to help with a service of small practices, making it affordable for and easy for small to mid-sized office practices to be HIPAA compliant. So we focus more on the small side where Mark's got definitely the bigger ones. Typically, um, county-sized hospitals, large physician practices. Yeah, and we us. help the one to 20 doc practices. Now it seems to me, and I wanna take it back a step from a historical standpoint, HIPAA seems to be the most far-reaching kind of regulation that we have from a technology standpoint today. Like, if you're a, you know, if you're the average company that's working in technology, you're not touched by a lot of regulations. But if you're in healthcare, you're you're surrounded by HIPAA regulations, right? Yes, that is correct. And not only HIPAA regulations, but there's a couple others that affect not only other organizations, but specifically healthcare organizations too, such as PCI, payment card industry. If, if, if a healthcare facility uses credit cards, they may fall under PCI and that has a different set of guidelines. Right. 
And then there's a little known one called the Indiana State Security Breach Notification Law, which has been around for quite a long time, but not that many people know about it. HIPAA focuses on personal health information. The Indiana Security Breach Disclosure Law focuses on social security numbers of Indiana residents. Who, who want, who's the watchdog for? That's the attorney general. So that's a state law. So it's the attorney general who enforces that, the local attorney general here in Indiana. Well, and, and so the other heavily regulated industry is banking. Would that be correct? Yes, and that would be something called GLBA. We have all these acronyms. Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. And that's like their HIPAA version for banks because that came out first. Everybody's concerned about money, right? So... They came out with these guidelines. Well, if you're going to be a bank, then you need to definitely follow these guidelines, especially when it comes to electronic transfer of funds, things like that. So when I talk to my clients and uh, refer people to Mark, what I tell them is that uh, I don't know anybody else here in the state who can untangle this web of regulation yeah. like Mark can, where you've got three or four different regulations that govern your business, some of which may conflict with one another. And so Mark knows how to say, well, this is where they intersect. Here's really how you, because, you know, how it, we talk usually one at a time about these regulations, but very often, well, Mark just said, healthcare providers typically have at least three that they're dealing with, and they don't, they're not always consistent. And with HIPAA, is the is the onus on is it a series of regulations to protect uh, your personal privacy, the the privacy of the customer, or is it a set of regulations on you know how you keep your books and how you secure your networks, and or is it a combination of both? It's the latter. It's the combination of both. The the ultimate goal is to protect your personal health information. That's your private information and it should not be disclosed to anyone outside of you or, or possibly whoever has signed the form, such as your family. That's the ultimate goal, but it's also it's it's some good standard best practices that hospitals and other organizations should be doing anyway to make sure that ransomware and other bad things don't happen. So, Mike, uh, we talked about that there was several iterations of HIPAA. Is HIPAA kind of a living, breathing? Is it something that's amended every six months or every year? Or how, how does how do they keep up with technology? They do do occasional updates, but in, and Mark may correct me on this, but I think when they first came out with HIPAA, the government was actually fairly brilliant on what they did. They told you what the end result was that they wanted, not how to get there. Okay. And so with that, as technology changes, they don't have to amend the laws a whole lot. Wow. The government did something brilliant. I am, I am, <laughs> let's I'm end speechless. this podcast. <laughs> We're done. I'm on record for there's one thing they did brilliantly. Well, and that's great to hear, too, because I, I do think, you know, especially with cloud technologies and everything else. Like I remember I remember one one aspect of cloud technologies was like PCI compliance. At one point, PCI compliance said that you had to un know the exact physical address of where your data is kept. And then the cloud opened and everybody said, well, that can't be PCI compliant. And they had to change it and adjust it and everything else. And so it's it's uh, it's good to hear that, you know, it was the destination that they were after with this. 
Mike, I'm curious uh, about some of these, the smaller clients, these smaller practices where you specialize, what some of the challenges are um, in compliance f uh, f for those particular businesses. Good question. Um, years ago, it was tens of thousands of dollars to be HIPAA compliant. And as technologies progressed, there are some tools that allow them to streamline that process and make it easier for them. It's still just like any regulation. You, sometimes you have to do it and you got to build it into your price. But um, as Mark said, there's several different areas that you still have to cover. Um, the smaller practices by law have to do this. And there are some tools to help streamline that. So can I answer your question? Yes, but I'm, I'm curious um, if there are one or two areas that seem to be just especially difficult for that uh, smaller office practice to um, be, uh, be compliant. The hardest parts they have is training and their IT systems. They need to have qualified IT people looking at their computer systems to verify that it is safe and secure. Somebody like Ryan. It's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, we do that. <laughs> but well, yeah, I could see that being a huge thing, especially when they're not anticipating that monthly bill for just operating. You know, that's yeah. and you know one of the, the the roadblocks we come into is you know the, is that stuff they they feel is optional. You know, the clients like oh well we don't you know our computers don't really break. Was in your industry like that's not even a choice. Like they have to comply. They have to make sure these tests are run. These things are these things are updated on a weekly basis, or whatever the, the, the law says. Like they have to be in compliance. Um, it's not optional. No, and it's all about securing the personal health information. Mm -hmm. And if your information's out there on the black market, and somebody's making your ID, making your ID into various things, and whether it's making fraud claims to opening bank accounts or credit cards. It, if it's the you know it's up to the doctor to keep that secure because that's a lot of information that every doctor has about you. Well, and I've told Mark this little uh, story, but uh, my wife worked for a uh, healthcare company uh, headquartered here in Indianapolis, and there was a discussion having to do with um, did the window washers have to have this business associates agreement because they were coming into the building and uh, could potentially see some protected healthcare information in the course of walking back and forth to clean the windows. Uh, it seemed crazy to me and Mark kind of agreed with me on that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, there, there's two levels of, you mentioned business associates. So in the healthcare arena, if a hospital employs someone like a claims company that's going to come in contact with your personal health information in, in the process of dealing with payment issues, they're considered a business associate and they have to go through some, they, the same rigorous HIPAA compliancy that the hospital does because a lot of breaches happen through, the, through these vendors that are business associates. Uh, like, uh, we may talk about Hancock uh, County later. That's how that happened to them. Um, so they have to be HIPAA compliant too. Uh, they have to show their due, proof of due diligence. But however, a window cleaner would be considered a HIPAA subcontractor because their job is not to come into contact 
with EPHI like a claims department is. So their job is to, who's the patient? How late are they on paying? What are we gonna do? The window cleaner, however, might inadvertently come across PHI because for the cleaning a window, somebody's got their terminal facing right. the window. Right. That was the they might see it. So they need to sign something that's more like, uh, that says if we run across EPHI, we will number one, do our best to ignore it. But if we do, we're not gonna store it. We're not gonna expose it. And we're gonna let you know, the hospital know that this happened. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the best practice would be to, as as the office manager or office people, to in general keep that away from open windows yeah. or where people can see it just inadvertently. So the best practice would be to try to avoid that to begin with. In some of our assessments, we will recommend that. Even if they're on the second or third floor, they have drones, you know. Uh, yeah, now they've got drones. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of them, they'll face their monitors towards the window, especially on the first floor. It's like, but an easy solution to that is just a password-protected screensaver. After five minutes, it blanks out. You can't see it, but yeah. I, I like that. Those are great examples of just a dead simple thing that you wouldn't even think about, right? Um, and I know uh, I, I, I don't have to mention them. They're not paying for the show, but Lifeline Data Centers is a client. And I know healthcare is a big, is a huge, you know, thing for them. And they're always surprised that in these small groups, a lot of times it's IT in the closet. It absolutely that is. These guys are literally running servers and, and at a more cost, at a higher cost mm -hmm. than had, the if they co-located it in a secure environment. And at much higher risk too. Yeah. No, the risk is incredible. Because yeah. the yeah. Uh, cleaning crew is going to get in there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, why did the network go down for an hour over the weekend? Oh, because they're you know shampooing the carpets and they need. We've had those where they yeah. they hit the uh, power strip and took the server down. Yeah. 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 And so that always that always seems amazing to me that that you know someone isn't actually going in there and now we have you doing it, Mike. So that's a great thing, but. Someone wasn't going in there saying, "Wait, why are you hosting your own, you know, servers?" Right. Well, and the new thing is the all the Internet of Things. Everything's tying in, and we ran into an office that Duke Energy made them put their uh, their uh, smart thermostat on the private network. Oh, so now yeah. you need mm -hmm. a BA with Duke Energy because it, they have access to your network. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And those are some of the most insecure things That's you right. can do is the IoT stuff. Yeah. Anything so you put on the network, whether it's a uh, webcam, uh, telephones, cell phone, and coffee machines now, refrigerators, yeah, refrigerators, yeah. 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 <laughs> refrigerators uh, the, the candy machine, so that they know when it's well, out. We've <laughs> done several. We've we've gone to several smaller medical facilities and and. Uh, in larger buildings and you know they're like oh we need some access points and so we'll go in there and their their network wiring is literally like stapled to the wall yeah <laughs> like you're paying somebody yeah. a lot are you of talking about the speakeasy no. <laughs> no no that's what a marketing guy does it no, <laughs> no. i was not the Whoa. guy that installed it stop yeah. <laughs> no but no, that's I mean, not the speakeasy's fault it's this place is <laughs> hilarious uh, but you're not doing <laughs> surgeries here no 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 we're not yeah. but it just like the we had to plug in access points like nobody had done any due diligence on any and you know they're paying a lot of money to an outsourced IT provider and they're literally not doing a darn thing 
And there's stuff like literally screwed into a telco board that should be rack mounted and protected. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, that's your internet connection. That's this open switch right there. Someone could literally walk in, plug in their own Wi-Fi, right. and sniff your network and you'd never know it was there. Right, right, right. We, absolutely. We see that all the time. So, so I'm anxious to uh, hear about this uh, data breach and ransomware that took place locally. I, I have heard just a little bit about it, but I know there's uh, some interesting gory details that uh, might be uh, of interest and, let, and let's talk about it from a you know from a company standpoint that might not even realize what happened you know what I, I think most people understand what ransomware is but it might even be good just to discuss that a little bit as right. well yeah. okay so uh, what ransomware is number one um, I think and it it penetrates an organization in several ways. A lot of it is through, they, they call them actors now, where they pretend to be, they'll do spear, what's called spear phishing. So they're pretending to be the CEO or the CIO. And they, they can do a pretty good job of emulating or stealing their email address. In yeah. fact, we know how to do that because that's what we do. Um, and they'll email someone and say, you know, uh, it's our annual, off, annual golf outing and click this link so you can learn more about it. Yep. You click that link, it invokes the virus. The virus takes over that machine, and depending on how well that machine is connected to the rest of the network, and this is all part of the defense. If the network is segmented enough so that it stops it there, it's not so bad. But in most cases, it'll infect that machine, and then it'll look for any other machine that it can or server that it can, lock it down, encrypt all the sensitive data, or all the data and then after it's done that it'll send you this scary message say we have just taken over your network and locked everything down if you want to get the password so you can get the information back pay us so many euro uh, not euros bitcoin Bit bitcoin yeah. sorry about the euros. yeah and that's pretty much how it happens so and and so specific so i'm i open my email and it says I, I know Harry Howe. So mm -hmm. it basically says Harry Howe, but it's at harryhow.co.uk instead of, you know, instead of howleadership.com right. or whatever. And so I think it's from Harry and Harry says, hey, take a look at this diagram, you know, or whatever, or this invite or whatever. As soon as I click that, I'm, I'm exposing myself to malware on a site That's right. that infects my, infects my, my computer. And then, because it's on a network, starts poking around and infecting everybody Especially else. Especially if, and that's another thing that you can do that's fairly simple. If your PC is set up with all local admin rights and full domain rights, yeah. it has access to everything. If you're an IT person, right. typically you have domain rights, which means it has access to the whole network, and that's where it will go. Yeah. Fascinating. Or if you haven't passed for security uh, flaws or you're using you know, custom software with a known vulnerability, there's a lot of things that you can do. Yeah. Yes. Now, now for crooks, there's a level of honesty because they actually do decrypt every once in a while, right? Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, if they if they didn't, they wouldn't. Yeah, continue it's like forty percent. Yeah, uh, sixty percent. They do, they do decrypt and give yeah. your data back. Yeah, so they're not lying. It's yeah. just really expensive. Well, you know, <laughs> they have their own code of ethics. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the big question is, okay, so you've paid the ransom, you've decrypted your data, you're back up and running. They flip the switch and do it again. You know, why would you, first off, why would you pay? 
Second off, you know, you don't know how they got in. They could still be sitting there waiting to do right. it again. You know, yeah. there, there's a huge security risk with paying. Here's what I'm finding, uh, because there's been several in Indiana that's been hit. Yeah. Uh, the reason that they will pay is because they could, the, the biggest, okay, let's start here. The biggest defense is good backups. Right. If you have good backups that have not been infected, they're offline, Right. then forget their, their uh, extortion clear everything out and reinstall your back, making sure the virus is gone first yeah. and then reinstall your backups and you're good to go. What I'm finding is that a lot of companies, they do have good backups in a sense, but <clears throat> the way they have them set up, it's gonna take several days. Right, right. So they, the, the cost of being down for several days versus the cost of paying for Bitcoin outweighs itself. The FBI gets them all and they say, you know, uh, yeah. We're taking our hat off. That's you know, that's all you can do. You might as well just do that. It's going to be the quickest, easiest thing to do. And the, the, I think the part of the shame of this, or part of the not shame, but maybe the ignorance again on the business owner is there's defenses for this. There are. Um, I uh, Howard Howard Beanstalk in town. He has our ROI, uh, and they they have a security layer basically. But they knew they had a client that put a rogue laptop on the network. Mm -hmm. So someone brought a, brought a laptop from home and physically plugged it into the network because they couldn't get on Wi-Fi. And as soon as they plugged in the network, the security software saw it, identified it, but also saw that it was already infecting. It was already going. And what they were able to do was immediately remotely shut down the network, stop it, go in, clean it, you know, restore backups, and they were up within, you know, a couple hours, you know, and so, so that this is absolutely something that you can thwart with proper, you know, one business processes, and then two technology. Is that what you call intrusion protection? Part of the, it, there, there are several things, intrusion protection, especially current generation that looks for anomaly based and behavioral based activity, because your standard Antivirus doesn't understand what's going on with ransomware. It's, it's not a virus that's known. So they, they can't, typically standard antivirus is not all that good at stopping it. It's because they're spear phishing and they're typically targeting a, a certain person. So, uh, but there are some tools like you mentioned that current generation that look for anomaly based, you know, this is not normal behavior, so. There's a lot of files downloading. We're, yes, yeah. we're gonna stop it and evaluate it and then yeah. go from there. Well, if I'm not mistaken, in that big target breach, they, they had intrusion detection and saw that something bad was going on, they just ignored it. Yeah, I, I, I know a little bit about that one, but. but I, Vice had Vice had a, had a great video where they were talking to these, the professional good hackers, guys that are- The white hats? The white yeah, hats. the white hats. Yeah, the brought white into hats. companies. Yeah. And uh, and so the a corporation was basically hired these guys to come in and identify you know, where they could go wrong. So the first thing that these guys did was uh, look up their employees on the internet. They found a couple of really high resolution photos of people with their badges. They replicated their badges and, and came in, scanned in through the front door with the fake badges and then set up shop in one of their conference rooms 
and started hitting the network from the inside. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and so the guy said, well, this is, you know, it was a big company. He said, you know, weren't they protecting themselves? He goes, the IT team was getting so many security alerts that they turned off the notifications. <laughs> a lot of happens with these breaches. It's a, a multi-vectored attack, which means they will do some physical things like dress up like an AT&T guy, come in and disrupt things that way. Yeah. Disrupt things through the network or through emails and disrupt things through a third vector so that everybody's confused. Yeah. And we'll start shutting things down and then they execute their original attack because all defenses are looking at other things at that point. And so what I'm, you know, one of the interesting things with that and you talking about those other attacks, uh, attacks is that these companies are more often than not, it's by, not by chance, right? It's not, it's not something that just happened because open, someone opened a malware Word document or something. It's that these companies were targeted. Targeted, yes. It's yeah. Good word for target, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they are t targeted, especially the big ones. Uh, they will evaluate and research for months and you know maybe go on f Facebook and learn about the CEO and his activities and what, you know, what his mannerisms are. Wow. And then they can emulate his email perfectly but if you're, if you know what to look for, and that's where security awareness training comes in. It's like, if you get an email that says that, you know, to wire money or get an email from the CEO that says something that seems out of the normal, look at for these things and bottom line, just call them and say, did this really come from you? I've had it happen to me before. And I called up the guy, did this come from you? No, I got hacked. You know, it's funny because rewind 40 years ago and email, when email was created, it was, created with RSA encryption, but it was too difficult. So nobody used it all <laughs> yeah. this time. Yeah. And here we yeah. have the most now insecure got a problem with communication it. <laughs> method. And, uh, and yeah, now we have all these problems. And most of the time it's email. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about the RSA token. Yeah. 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 And I, because dual authentication is a good defense, but, and there's some new things now that can help with that. Yeah. yeah. So Mike, what do you see in, in smaller medical practices uh, as, you know, one of the vectors of attack versus a larger medical practice. What makes them different than a larger medical practice? They're actually not a whole lot different. Okay. It comes down to the people opening up an email, is, and it's usually a people or a person that will allow them in, do the same kind of thing. They've got tools for small businesses that you probably know about mm -hmm. that are not expensive to put in. Uh, the smaller healthcare or smaller businesses are getting attacked more often now because when you can sell those records at over a hundred dollars each and each say healthcare provider has over four or five thousand patient records available boom there you go there's a lot of revenue for a small office hmm. um, the big offices they can get millions of records a small office they get thousands and it's it's a big revenue generator and the hacking industry is a multi-billion dollar industry now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, everybody just needs to watch out for that and be prepared and get your tools in place. And then it's simple and you just watch. Yeah. So uh, my experience with s smaller companies in general that may mirror these smaller practices is that pr procedures are not quite as formal. And so a pizza guy shows up at the front desk, so, you know, and he's looked on Facebook to see, you know, Got, he's got a name of employee in the 
back office and got a pizza delivery for Sally and, and sure she's right back there and on the way he's looking for the little sticky note on the monitor that says password <laughs> yeah. is Colts yeah. and uh, picks that up on the way and, and walks around and, and just leaves a pizza somewhere, goes out and he's picked up two or three of these little sticky notes with passwords and he's on his way. And uh, there's yeah. another one on that, I think that the vice was they had a whiteboard that had the password written on it that was visible through the windows at the lower level. And so they would have people parked out in front using their Wi-Fi all the time. Not not hackers, just people. Yeah. Just, you know, they, they, they were, they oh were <laughs> they see Wi-Fi passwords, Let's they're it. like, oh, oh, I can use this. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. <laughs> so small office or, or even a large place gets hacked They're, you know they, they get ransomware um, they pay their bitcoins to get their data back what are their fines for that and that's still Ooh. somewhat up in the air because the main thing that the office of civil rights who is the um, they are the HIPAA police mm -hmm. What they're looking for a, is a disclosure of EPHI, Electronic Protected Health Information. Okay. And in most cases, uh, the ransomware guys, folks, are not looking at disclosing that healthcare information. They're looking at getting the quick buck and saying that, hey, we're shutting down your systems, mm. which is a hospital, by the way, mm. which could be devastating. And we want you to pay this ransom as fast as you can so we can get out of here and you can get up and running. The, uh, the idea is that they're not getting to that patient data. You need to actually do a breach, oh, what's mm -hmm. called a breach risk assessment to help determine if they have or not, because that would be a violation of HIPAA. If, if that's all it is, if they're just shutting you down, HIPAA might get involved or the OCR might get involved just for the fact you don't have good backups or you, you, you weren't prepared for this. Now, if there were patient disclosures and they could prove it, then that would be a whole different category. Okay. But in general, what we're seeing is that that's not the goal of the bad guys. They're, they're just there to get the quick money and get out. Now, that doesn't say a year from now, they say, by the way, while we were there, we did get patient information. Now we want $2 million. No, uh, but there are systems you can put in place if you know in advance to help determine whether they have done that or not. And if part of that plays into you the risk assessment afterwards, you've got to bring in the forensic people that's to check right. the computers and, and databases to make sure they weren't breached. So well, it isn't the fines always that's the most expensive, it's the lawyers and the forensics and the notices and everything that follows a breach. So and let's 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 walk through that. I, yeah. I'm intrigued by that. So uh, hospital all of a sudden gets a, or, or a small business gets the alert you know, that they're locked out of their thing, that they should contact these people, pay this, you know, ransom. What's the first thing that they should do? Uh, well, first thing, hopefully they have an incident response plan because that's a requirement of the, of the new HIPAA. Okay. That, that steps through, okay, if this happens, this is what we do. Who do we contact? And first? is that something that you guys help write yes. for, for companies? Yes. Okay. We, we've seen so many. <laughs> After 18 years, we, yep. we know what to put together for Sure. Them. And then part of that is, okay, contacting the right people and determining how bad of an incident is it. And there, there's a uh, breach 
risk assessment team that helps determine that, which you may involve, you should involve your legal in that because it's, it's the legal person that's going to determine, do we need to report this yeah. to the OCR? Do we need to send out letters to our clients and so forth? But there's a period of time that is expected to evaluate the breach to see how bad it really is. And so if you, if you know that the breach is bad and, and that data has been stolen at that point, you're under legal requirements to disclose and, and notify both the authorities and, and your patients or your customers, right? If there's reasonable concern that the likelihood that that data has been disclosed, then yes. But again, at that point, you're probably getting the FBI involved yeah. and the local police involved. Well, we've seen, was it Uber that sat yeah. on a breach for a long, and, and it wasn't even the, I don't even think the executives knew. I think the IT group paid the phone, paid the ransomware. I, I heard just a little bit about that. Yeah, they paid the ransomware, but didn't tell anybody. And and because uh, they didn't want a textbook version of what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, they yeah, didn't. Yeah. They didn't want to get fired. Yeah. So they didn't tell anybody, and it was only. And they thought it wouldn't go public. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then it went public. And not, so, a, not a good approach. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> not It'll always go public. <laughs> well, and, and and I mean, you're in IT. Mm. Risk risk management is part of the equation. It can charge for. It can it can happen. Yeah. It's not a matter of firing the person. It's these people are intelligent that it's yeah. a war, you yeah. know, double yeah, click is. that attachment 75 times. Yeah. Like, why doesn't this open? Yeah. It did. And you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, there's no, it's an accident. You know, it's a brain yeah. fart. It's, a, it's two seconds of mental yeah. lapse in your workday and your entire company is hacked. That's right. Yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, especially healthcare organizations or organizations that might be susceptible to this type of attack are getting cyber insurance now. Okay. To help cover some of these losses, but in in cyber insurance, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk like I know what I'm talking about. You <laughs> tell me whether I actually do or not. Act like but, you do, and then. But I know I know I was at a I was at a uh, presentation at Taft Law again with Lifeline, and there's risks with cyber insurance too, because cyber insurance says, hey, all of your stuff is up to date, all of your virus protection, all of your malware protection, your network is secure, everything else. They go through audit your and they find a PC that has no updates on it. One PC and guess what? Your yep. cyber insurance isn't worth a nickel. In most cases, cyber insurance companies will ask for some type of minimal audit or assessment of your network to yeah. show your proof that you are doing your due diligence to right. keep things secure. And so, so I, they said more often than not there's no payout on cyber insurance because oh, because they found something because yeah. they found something you know and so yeah. the thing is again it goes back to having folks like you go in there get these processes in place having an IT professional go in there get the systems in place and the process in place to keep you know to keep everything up to date yes you should not totally rely on cyber insurance yeah right there's it's like any good security program there's different levels and different aspects yeah Cyber insurance is sort of like the, it's like insurance, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, we've done everything we can to secure things, but something could happen. So we have insurance to cover the cost. Right, right. It's a good mm -hmm. investment as long as you 
tactically did everything else. Because mm -hmm. yeah, like you say, it, they may not pay off. Read, yeah. read the policy and do what it says. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Have somebody else read the policy, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Get yeah. a second opinion. Absolutely. So now, now, do both of you being, you know, uh, compliance experts, do you guys work hand-in-hand -hand with, you know, folks like Ryan and ROI and data centers and stuff to, you know, to, to work with clients to get them compliant? Or is it, you know, you guys work in to get them compliant, advise them of the gaps, and then the company has to go find someone to, to fill those you want to cover yeah. uh, what we do is we bring in the experts on certain areas right you now if it's an IT guy we, we're not experts on IT we can tell you where some issues are we can do that we can offer some training and awareness but that again we don't do that so um, on the smaller places it's much more economical to bring in the experts to handle the yep. the components of putting the whole thing together because it's a big puzzle that is easy to put together if you do it right yeah Fantastic. Yeah, and there's a potential, uh, uh, if you're the assessor and you're providing solu solutions to what you're assessing, we like the old Arthur Anderson thing, where there could be a potential conflict of interest. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we tend not to do that, just so that we can be totally unbiased. Yeah. There are some companies out there that will do both, will say, they'll do the assessment and say, by the way, we can provide you the solutions to what we're finding. So they do the assessment fairly inexpensively. Yeah. We don't do that. It's so, the real estate agent with the home inspector. Probably, a good right? example, yeah. a home inspector <laughs> yeah. that sells roofs. Yeah. He yeah. might find something wrong with his roof. And by the way, I sell your roof. Yeah. <laughs> so we, just for that reason, we don't go down that path, but we partner with other companies that have those solutions and say, hey, if you need a solution, talk to these guys. And then I, I think to, to close out, you know, what are the steps a business should take to educate themselves? You've talked about some organizations. Uh, are you guys, you know, do you guys have publications on your own sites and, and where are they? How, how can people inform themselves on this and, and what should they do to, you know, uh, to educate themselves and mitigate this risk? Well, on our website, we've got a fair amount of items that would help bring to light what they need to look at and, and, and Mike, think what's about the URL where would people go my hippaofficer.com oh nice that's an easy one and the hippa is h-i-p-a-a -A. right the stutters at the end <laughs> <laughs> so my hippa.com my hippa officer my hippa officer.com our website is not so simple <laughs> our name is not that simple i think i need to rethink that it's www.sterlin-group.com and Sterlin is spelled weird. S T E R L Y N dash group. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, we'll put these in the show notes for okay. the listeners. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and we don't have, a, we have some information on there, but I, I point a lot of people to the Unspent group because it, it's all about hearing uh, war stories. We, we get a lot of case studies in there, especially on the ransomware. So we had a good case study a couple uh, months ago where we had three different healthcare facilities come in and talk about what happened in the ransomware, how they recovered, and how they're going to prepare to prevent it from happening. So at one meeting you had three healthcare. Yeah, we, yeah. Oh my God. Were you there? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of drinking there. <laughs> yeah, the, the panelists were like, <laughs> I survived. I'm still. Well, that's employed. something for the listeners to understand how often this is happening. Is it? And it was pretty brutal. Yeah. yeah you're about uh, that one where they, 
they lived on site for like uh, a month, I think. Wow. Trying to get this thing resolved, yeah. It's much easier if you prepare ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there are, in fact, we have a, re a ransomware readiness security uh, preparedness offering that we do for folks so that we can go in there. There's a lot of simple things you can do that to help prevent this. So, so name one, Mark, what would be an example? Of well, number one, keeping all of your uh, updates up to date. And that, and there's a lot of levels of update, not, not just your uh, uh, antivirus, which is minimal help anyway, right. but operating system, uh, third-party applications like Adobe, and because if you look at those, 90% of those updates are security patches. Yeah. I even, I, I, I want to throw this out that uh, I had read a fascinating thing with the Spectre, um, whatever you call it. It, it wasn't vulnerability. really a Vulnerability is yeah. a good, because it was really a feature. It wasn't, a, it wasn't meant to be abused like that. But one of the interesting things that happened was because Microsoft and Apple have direct access to their kernel, you know, th through the operating system, they were able to patch it no problem. But if you were a third party virus or uh, detection platform, you crashed Windows. Like ah. literally you crashed, because what was happening was the patch for their software was trying to get to the yeah. kernel, which shoving two bricks in the same hole. Yeah, exactly. And so it was a, it was a, you know, I mean, I had, I had never thought like, wow, I should, you know, if I'm on Microsoft, I should buy Microsoft virus, you know, mm -hmm. software, but that's exactly what the expert said. He said, no, you shouldn't buy third party because Microsoft is the only one that can get to the kernel and can protect that. Right. So pretty, pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And there are some good programs, you know, it's like, it could be overwhelming. Your patch management program could be overwhelming because yeah. it's hard to do, but there are tools out there that will help you do that. Yeah, and, and I know, again, I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to get in business, but like uh, Lifeline is FedRAMP certified. Okay. So mm -hmm. FedRAMP certified requires every single day auditing everything down to the chip level to make sure that everything is up to date and, and, and actually written out that way. Now FedRAMP is like, if you want to keep top secret data, but the affordability of uh, FedRAMP hosting is now on par with Amazon. So it's not like it's a, you know, a significant expense because they're doing that. But it is, you know, it is becoming commonplace now for data centers to go from the chip level all the way out where you're never gonna do that on your own. <laughs> so. Yeah, things are becoming more cost effective. Yeah. The other big thing is security awareness training to all employees. Yeah. If you get an email that doesn't look quite right and you, and look at the URL, look at the email address is there, you know, a lot of times an I can look like a one or vice versa. Yep. An O can look like a zero and they are experts at emulating these things. Yeah, absolutely. So security awareness training, if it doesn't smell right, look right, make a phone call, call the security officer or something like that. And uh, another big thing just in general for all security is encryption. Yeah. HIPAA talks about encryption. They don't require it but they do have a safe harbor law. And a good example is there was a local company that had sensitive EPHI data on a, on a backup tape, tape that was not encrypted or password protected. They were carrying it home and uh, their car got broken into and it was stolen. Probably not for the purpose of right. the information, but regardless, they still had to report it. 
and uh, they were audited by the UCR, and it's and it's gone on for like three years, and it's cost them seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So oh. just a three quarters of a million what, dollars for what, a stolen tape. For the number of records they lost, that was incredibly economical. Yeah. They because, were you know, very smart about how they did that. The wow. OCR wants to work with you. In fact, some of the penalties that they will levy, they say you can use towards fixing things. So they're, yes. they're pretty cool about that. But again, it's not the fine so much that's expense. It's everything else around all the soft costs of fixing, finding. Yep. And if you can just turn the encryption on, that's the number one thing it's to a do. Safe, to if, if they had encryption turned on, according, I'm not a lawyer, but according <laughs> to the Safe Harbor law, law it is not even considered a breach. Right. You don't even have to report it. Because if it's encrypted properly, that means nobody can get access to it. So encryption is a big deal. Incredible. Uh, a timely one, too, is websites. Um, this is just timely because last week I helped a, it wasn't a client, it was a, a nonprofit, so I did some charity work for them. Um, but right. they, had a, uh, <laughs> they, had, they had a malware that injected JavaScript-based Bitcoin mining. Uh, onto anybody I've that visited the website. <laughs> wow. Your computer works overtime, yeah. mining stuff you don't even get. That's exactly it. Anybody yeah, that visited your rope, your, it turns yeah, into anybody that visited their site, literally your CPUs would, you know, peg out and everything else. But, um, but it was a bear to get to get it because these guys are really vicious. They'll not only place the you know the malware, but they'll re they'll also place other malware that injects that malware back into the system once it's removed. How do you yeah. find it? How do you know that it's there? Um, well, I you know my, mine is that uh, this was WordPress that they that they had done it in, and so I've been working in WordPress for about ten years, and and I've gone through it a number of times and find a lot of times they try to disguise the code, and so you can do a a diff between core files. And, and their files. And so the first thing is separating out like theme from WordPress core files, and then looking at core files and identifying that what, if there's been anything edited or changed in there, and then going into plugins and themes. But again, the fix was, or, or the prevention was simply to have the site up to date. The, the vulnerability that these guys, that these guys got in on was a, was a update from months ago. And so the thing is, is if you're not updating your website, just like updating your computer or mm -hmm. updating your phone or anything else, that's when hackers know that there's a door, yep. <laughs> you know? And so they put in, you know, they literally crawl the web looking at every single website and they poke and poke and poke and then they find the hole and then they, and then they go inject themselves. Um, it was pretty fascinating. But now the, the interesting, the other interesting thing with that is, the person that actually was doing the mining was shut down too. Um, they, 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 because they were able to track them, you know, back with blockchain <laughs> and identify who was trying to mine all this coin for everybody. But it was a pretty brilliant idea, mm -hmm. you know. But again, it's, it's so easy. And hmm. it was a matter of this company said that they didn't have the money, you know, to be paying someone to do updates on their site. And so, all I did was I moved them to a host that was $4 more a month. Okay. And that host literally does manual, there it does go. automatic updates for them. $4 a month, you know, and that could have saved them. And so these solutions, we're not talking about spending, you know, millions of dollars out there. These solutions are actually very affordable, especially given the expense of, you know, 
being on the other side of that equation. That's a good point. Going to the cloud can provide a lot of options and solutions, as long as you you know what you're doing. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and they didn't, and, and, and they shouldn't have to, right? Yeah. They, they right. should have been working with someone that would have advised them, you know, in that direction. Yeah. And that's why it's, I think it is really critical and really important that people, you know, pull in folks like Ryan and pull in folks like you to, to say, you know, help us check yeah. things out. At least Do an audit. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's a <clears throat> good conclusion to this podcast that, there are certain, if you're a business owner, there are certain people you ought to have on your speed dial, so to, so to speak. You ought to have an, your accountant, you ought to have a financial advisor, an attorney, and, and uh, depending on your, your size, marker Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, someone, someone from an IT security standpoint. Yeah. And I think yep. the systems are getting better. These are known vulnerabilities that... Right. The manufacturers, I know uh, you talked about, uh, Mike, you talked about IoT, and I know like Dell had, now has the this edge edge computers. and There's a lot of options. Yeah, there. and so mm -hmm. ed, the thing about edge computing is that it has built-in security features at the IoT level that prevent, you know, people from going upstream. And so the, you know, for people out there, this we're fighting this just because it's a fairly new and open internet out there that, that wasn't built with security in mind. It was not. <laughs> but now we are building with security in mind, and, and uh, I think things are getting a lot better. Well, this is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank, thank you very you. much, guys. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, and uh, for everybody listening, uh, we will put in the show notes, obviously, how to get a hold of these gentlemen uh, and put links back to their sites and everything. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, get a hold of us. As always, we beg you to put a review out there for us. Um, interesting note, we are available, uh, if you have any pod on Amazon Echo, you can tell uh, your, I'm not gonna say it out loud because she's listening, <laughs> but you can tell your Amazon device to listen to the podcast. You can ask Google Assistant now to listen to your podcast, and you can ask HomePod the new Apple nice. um, uh, to, to, to play the podcast. As long as you're with Apple, it's a bit weird. You have to be subscribed in pot on your podcast app and then you can do yeah. it. So uh, some, the, the, that's a nice security loop right there, right? We, <laughs> we how secure is we, that? We, 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 could, we could talk about voice <laughs> well, Let's not go there. Yeah, let's not <laughs> go to voice now. <laughs> that's another component Part we'll have to think the about in the future. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that there's nobody with the echo at the, in, in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I did find one at a practice. No! Oh, really? <laughs> no, you, yes, it, it plays nice music, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's listening to you, so let's turn that off. Let's yeah. unplug it. Oh, wow. uh, so, and then of course, uh, you know, subscribe. And if you have a story, if you know gentlemen like these or ladies like these that are, uh, we're just proud to have them as part of our community, and we want to tell their story. Please get a hold of us online, and and uh, we'll get something scheduled. Thank you. Thank you very much for having Thanks. us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for showing up. Good job. Thank you. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis.